0: Lord, thank you for another Sunday. Thank you uh, that uh, every Sunday we have the chance to reflect on the Sabbath rest that uh, the Rite of Hebrews tells us you provided for us. Uh, There is, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God that your son secured through his atoning death and his resurrection. Uh, Help us to look forward to that and rest in that every Sunday. Uh, and we realize history is going in that direction, and nothing can stop it. Um, be with us this morning as we uh, think through uh, Advent and uh, the story that led up to it. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd be our teacher. I pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. So, a uh, little recap, if you haven't been here. If, and if you have, a recap is, I find be very helpful. Uh, so, we, what I've really been doing is the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, can't really be understood, at least fully, apart from Israel's larger story, right? And so, we've covered most of the Old Testament. This is, this is incredible. You're skeptical. You're skeptical, but we did it. And so, we, we, uh, I, I started Matthew 1 and, and used what Matthew says there in his genealogy. Remember, the uh, first verse of the New Testament, the beginning of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, Son of David, son of Abraham. And so we just work backward. We're back to Abraham. And trace the story up through uh, David. And then last week we ended in the exile. And so, uh, all along the way, and you'll see why today I've been been emphasizing this, is there's a close um, connection between uh, Israel's election. The remnant is growing. Right. Uh, what's Jesus' parable about once the door is shut? I guess that's not the final closing of the door, right? Uh, this is great. This is great. Uh, hey, the elect in Revelation is a number that no man can number. That's what is that? It's not. It's not 144,000. Okay, that's not. Just so you know, that's not a literal number. Okay, that one's free for you. Um, but what I've been linking and, and wanting you to see is Israel was called to be God's servant. Uh, Abraham and their service was to the whole world. Right? God was going to use them to bless all the nations. And uh, I wanted you to see that obedience or holiness was tied to that mission from the get go. Okay, I won't read all the verses again, but God calls Abraham in chapter 12. And then I went to like Genesis 18 and Genesis 22, where God, remember, God said, All the nations will be blessed in you, but you have to keep the way of the Lord. By doing justice and righteousness, that was repeated over and over. And then God made Israel a people that came from Abraham. And he, remember, he just took that promise and applied to the people. And he said the same thing: "You're going to be a holy nation. If you're a holy nation, I will then bless the nations through you." So, it's not it's not the basis. There's never a workspace. Don't hear that. Remember, God gave that to them after he just redeemed them, and they just remember that um, that scene in Exodus. 14, one of the best verses in the Bible, God says, just stand there and watch the salvation I'm going to do for you. And he he did it. Then he gave him commands. Okay, So I don't don't hear him be saying they're meriting Israel or Abraham is meriting salvation. That's the furthest thing from it. But there is covenant faithfulness. The way God set it up is that God wasn't going to fulfill his mission to bring blessings to the nations through an unholy people. And it's always been that way. So I said a kind of provocative thing in one sense, God can't fulfill his mission until the people are holy, until there's a holy servant. So I've been trying to, 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 to emphasize that. And then, and then we saw that didn't work out. Remember, we looked at the kings, and all the kings, they watched it, in both the north and the south, and then uh, I think we ended the Psalm 89 last week, um, where, remember, we saw Israel is, got kicked out of their land. There, there's no king on the throne. His eyes got poked out. Uh, the temple was destroyed, everything was burned, and that looked like a reversal of all the promises God made to Abraham, and so his whole mission to the, to the world. But, remember, how did we actually end? There's a little glimmer of hope. Remember at the end of 2 Kings 25? You get fast-forwarded thir- 37 years into exile, and anyone remember what the author of Kings tells us that seems random unless you put it in light of all this uh, this context I've been sketching out? yes oh by the way Jehoiakin yeah he's still he's still alive oh and he's in the oh so he's the he's the in the line of David ah it seems as though God's all God's promises have fallen flat but that's not uh, the reality so that's where we're at so now we're going so that's known as the Babylonian exile and so now um, back to Matthew he traces it from Babylon to Jesus and that's what we're doing today okay we're only going to that by looking at at uh, one section of text. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to Isaiah. Or as one of my professors said, Isaiah. Uh, He's is Welsh. Derek Thomas. Love it. He could read the phone book and you'd be you'd be saved all over again. Like yes, Lord. Okay. So you open up to Isaiah 40. Uh, let me just set the context for this, and then we'll tell you why why I'm I'm here. Uh, a guy named John Oswald has written some really famous commentaries on Isaiah, and they're, they're the best. I um, highly recommend them if you want uh, uh, really good commentaries on Isaiah. He makes the point this is nice because I was seeing this, and I didn't know if anyone else did. And if you see something that other people don't, you're either a genius, which is, or you're absolutely wrong. So, and I always like, I'm not a genius, so ergo. However, maybe I am because Oswald, his whole commentary was saying this. He thinks servanthood is the major theme of the entire book of Isaiah. Um, If you've read Isaiah, you know the servant figure is big in chapters 40 and 55, and we're going to look at that. But as I'm reading through the book, I'm like, man, servanthood really binds the whole book together. Okay, and so uh, what you really get is, uh, you can say in chapter 40, I'll just summarize. The first half of the book, it becomes very clear that Isaiah is evoking the whole story I just talked about in the first, especially the first five chapters, Israel was called to be holy, and they utterly failed that mission. So, Isaiah's really the, the rest of the book from chapter 39 onward is, how does that Israel, or I guess this Israel, the sinful, unholy Israel who botched their mission, become that Israel? How, how do they become re-qualified for service again? Uh, for the, the God's plan, A. How, how in the world, that things are so bad, how does that all happen? And, uh, as I mentioned, the, the chapter 40, 55 really answers that question. We're going to look at one aspect of that answer that links up with uh, the focus we've been having uh, in the last couple uh, uh, lessons. And so that's really this enigmatic servant figure that shows up in Isaiah 40, uh, to 55. Um, if you've read, has anyone read to the whole book of Isaiah? And you get to chapter 40, you're like, what the heck just happened? <laughs> so, you know, it's, the first 39 chapters are set in the context of the 8th century. That's when Isaiah uh, lived. And it's, so, yeah, 740s-ish. Then all of a sudden, in chapter 40, you're thrust forward into the Babylonian exile. Like, a oh, couple 100 years? And without any, this is why people find the prophets so hard to understand, without any warning, Okay. There kind of was a little bit of a warning, which I'll talk about in a second. But um, there's a dramatic shift to chapter 40, and the perspective, in fact, uh, you can look at the end of chapter 39, because there is a hint. Uh, the end of chapter 39, I referenced this last time, it was King Hezekiah, uh, one of the only quote, good kings in our, remember, he was known for his trust in God. But this was not his highest, his best point here. Uh, I'll just read a couple of verses, uh, starting in chapter 1. Uh, at that time, Merodach Baladin, son of Baladin, if you're looking for baby names, right? It's a lot of good ones. Uh, he sent letters and a present to Hezekiah. He heard he'd been sick and recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed him, him gladly. And he showed him the treasures and basically everything in the house of the Lord. In verse 3, Isaiah the prophet comes to Hezekiah and he says, What are you doing? Uh, where did they come from? Uh, what do these men say to you? And Hezekiah said, They've come from a far country from Babylon. Okay. So we do get a hint uh, as, as to where the book is going. What have they seen? Hezekiah said, Everything. There's nothing they didn't see. There's nothing I didn't show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, days are coming when all this in your house, all your fathers are stored up to this day, shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left. And some of your own sons who will come uh, from you, who your fathers, shall be taken away and become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, I love this, it's one of the funniest lines in Scripture. The, the word that you said is good, he <laughs> thought. There'll be peace and security in my days. <laughs> Sucks to be them, but it's going to be good in my time. So, uh, so the, from a literary perspective, uh, Isaiah is telling you that he's saying exile is going to come, and then you're thrust into it uh, in the very next line. So, chapter 1. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. The perspective is you're on the other side of the exile now. And God is speaking comfort into the situation. If you don't know that, you're not going to understand. In one verse, you've gone through the entire exile, and now God is saying, that's not the final word. Comfort, comfort. Okay? So that's, that's. I just, just got to tell you the context of chapter 40. And... Uh, the Babylonian, as I, as I noted, this catastrophe raised all kind of questions. Um, had God been defeated by the Babylonians and their gods? Because you probably know when a nation defeats you in the ancient world, that means their god defeated your god. And so this is one of the things that's in their head. Also, uh, perhaps Judah's sin has put them out of the reach of God's grace and has caused God to revoke their election. Like we've you know, we know you're gracious, but perhaps, you know, doing this, this, these sins over and over, it's God's final like, that's it. You know, you've committed the unpardonable sin. Uh, uh, has, and more to our purposes, has Israel's sin or Babylon's defeat nullified God's vision of servanthood for the nations? That is, that, that maybe God's going to do a plan B and reach the nation some other way. Not through Israel anymore. These are the questions that as you're, as you're sitting in exile, you're thinking... Right? And so, in, into this dark situation come Isaiah 40 to 55. So, you've got to read these chapters at literally their, their lowest point. Right? Because what, what do they need to know? A couple of things, right? You, you need to know God is able to rescue you. I mean, imagine someone probably knows this. Is it in the British Museum they've reconstructed the Ishtar Gates of Babylon? Someone probably knows. Is that where it's at? I think it is. I mean, imagine being carted through the mighty Ishtar gates of Babylon. Just go look, look it up later, uh, and or I guess you could do it now. You have the phone. That's to students doing class. I always I'm like, why did I say that? Because then everyone goes to Google <laughs> and looks up. But being you know carted through and walking through and looking up there and oh my goodness, thinking that Marduk has defeated Yahweh, right? So you need to know that God is able. But I think, and if you're more like me, this is what I have no doubt that God's able to deliver me. I doubt that he actually wants to. Right? That, that he, that I know you're able, but it's like he just kind of puts up with me. So they need to know God's able and he wants to. And that's what makes these chapters so incredible is he comes, especially we're going to read a couple of verses in chapter 42, is that God can save Israel and he actually wants to save them. Right? It's, it's like he sent them to their room for 70 years to go think about it. Like when you, you know, your parents you, this is what the exile was. God wasn't done with them. He's like, go to your room for seven years and think about it. Okay, but you're still my people. I can't, in fact, God, in one sense, can't revoke his election because he promised it, and he can't lie. Okay, and so uh, these are pretty incredible uh, chapters. And uh, in, 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 light of, in light of that context, the Isaiah's servant figure that many of us are so familiar with from the suffering servant passage Right. This is the context to understand that. Okay, Isaiah's servant figure is uh, not the only, but the the central to God's plan to bring them out of the exile. Okay, and then we're going to link it up with the whole, or Isaiah is going to link it up with the whole story we've been looking at so far. Let me just a couple words about uh, uh, the servant in Isaiah 40:55. Uh, there's actually four really famous songs that are called the servant songs uh, in Isaiah 40 to 55. Uh, they're in, and you don't have to. You can just Google this; you'll, you'll find this. Chapter 42, verses 1 to 9, which we're going to look at a couple of verses. Uh, you'll find uh, the servant again in chapter 49. You find them again in 50, and then climactically in the one you probably know the most is 40. Or excuse me, 52:13 to 53.12, the suffering servant passage. Uh, let me give you one word summary of just of, uh, of, of these songs leading up to chapter 53, because that's what we're going to look at. Uh, when you look at 42, uh, you, Isaiah presents this spirit-filled servant who's going to lead out uh, uh, captives, who he, he defines as blind. He's going to do so with gentleness, as, as, as we'll see. And he's going to bring forth justice to the nation. That's chapter 42, verses 1 to 9. Then you go to chapter forty nine and you meet the servant again, and we'll see at this point the servant appears appears to have failed his mission, uh, and uh, nonetheless he's going to regather the tribes of Israel. Because remember, remember, if you're here last week, I think the tribes had been scattered. Remember, after King David, you had a split to the north and the south, and so now there's no. And so he's going to. The servant says Isaiah says he's going to bring the tribes back together, and you're going to have one people of God again. And go a little a little fast forward to chapter 50. Then you don't have to go there. I'm going to be uh, going through a few verses in a minute. The servant is actually spit on and Isaiah 50 despised. His beard is plucked out, and, but he trusts that God will vindicate him. Uh, and again, you have another link to the nations that he's going to. His his work is going to be for the nations. Then we reach climatically, Isaiah 52 and 53, uh, and You're confronted with this despised figure, uh, one from whom God hides his face, and he's going to bring redemption by a substitutionary sacrifice. Uh, And so uh, we're actually headed to Isaiah 53. But first, uh, I want you to see how Isaiah himself understands this servant figure. It's pretty incredible if you've never seen it before. So you may have to kind of flip around, um, uh, but I want to show you this. go to chapter 41, chapter 41. Before Isaiah gets to chapter 53, it's important to see that he has already used the term servant for Israel. For Israel. This is why these chapters are confusing to a lot of people. Because you're reading, and you're like, is the servant Israel? Or is the servant this other figure who's going to suffer for Israel? Okay? So chapter 41, verse uh, 8. But you, Israel, my servant. Ah, Look where he links it. Jacob, whom I've chosen, election, the offspring of Abraham. He's got the whole story we talk about in his head. He's, he's, I mean, imagine being in exile, thinking God's done with you. He's revoked his election, and then he looks you in the eyes and he says, You're my chosen one, offspring of Abraham, my servant. Oh. I you get goosebumps just thinking about it. God's not done. It. Right? I really cannot sin his grits because it's not about my performance, it's about him. He made the promise. He's going to keep it. He's faithful. So he looks him in the eyes. Israel, my servant. But what I want you to see is this clearly refers to the nation. The word servant. Okay? Uh, and notice again how he, he, Isaiah, he, he links Israel's role as God's servant to their being the offspring of Abraham. Genesis 12. That's crucial. Okay? That's absolutely crucial for understanding the servant's mission in these chapters. Okay, so he first, and as you read these chapters, you can count it up. He uses the word servant of Israel a ton of times. Okay, and so uh, we get to chapter 42, though, in other places. Very first verse. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I put my spirit on him. And he'll bring forth justice to the nations. And we're going to look at a couple of verses later. But as you're reading these other chapters, you're like, this, this servant figure can't be Israel. And like, what did Isaiah, why did he use the same name for both of them? Right. So, there's a, there, there, if he's using the same name, servant, for both Israel and this other figure who's going to act on Israel's behalf, there must be a close relationship between them. Or else, why use the same term? So, as a reader, you're supposed to be thinking, why is using the word servant for this individual redemptive figure and then for the, the nation uh, as a whole. Okay, There must be some connection between their identity. Uh, and this is, this is a fun exercise. You can read through these chapters and notice how the same language will be used of both. Israel's a servant and then uh, uh, this individual servant figure. Like They're both chosen by God. Um, uh, they're both upheld by the right hand of God. Uh, they're both called to be witnesses to the nations, and so you're, he's, he's doing this on purpose because they're they're wanting you to think the, the connection between them. So there's deliberate continuity between Israel as a servant and this servant figure, but in fact, there's so much continuity that the traditional Jewish interpretation uh, is that it only refers to Israel. Uh, this is a, a big. Uh, they, they they say even even the suffering servant passage. They say refers to Israel as a nation. They say Israel, if you read a, a Jewish study Bible or something, you will find that they think that Israel is suffering, that their suffering brings benefit to the nation. So the, the, the nation suffers as a whole, and then that is how, how uh, um, blessing goes out to, to the nations. And so, so they would deny there's an individual figure. But as we see when we get there, it, 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 that, that reading just doesn't, doesn't quite work. Uh, So, these chapters, the dominant message is one of comfort, but uh, Isaiah also highlights the fact that Israel has failed their mission. Stay in chapter 42, go down to verse 18. Referring to Israel as a nation, look at what he says. Chapter 42, verse 18, he says, Hear you deaf, look you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant? So, this is referring to the nation. Or deaf as my messenger whom I sent. Who was blind as my dedicated one or as blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things, but he doesn't observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. Maybe you guys have said that to your kids sometime, right? Uh, uh, The Lord was pleased for his righteousness sake. Uh, Verse 24, who gave up Jacob to the looter, referring to the captivity of Babylon, and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord? against whom we've sinned, in whose ways we wouldn't walk, in whose law we didn't obey. So he's highlighting the fact that Israel failed their mission. Exactly what we've been saying. Now, the context of this is crucial, of of these verses, because it comes immediately after a passage that we started to read about another servant. Okay, at the end of the same chapter. So flip back again to the beginning of the same chapter. So what I just read comes almost immediately after this remarkable description of the character and mission of this servant figure. And as I mentioned, you're supposed to think with, about the relationship between the two. Um, Israel is spiritually deaf. They're blind. They're separated from God. They can't restore themselves back uh, to God, and uh, let alone requalify themselves for service. And so what they, what they need at this point is not just need a couple things. They need to be brought back to the land geographically, right? Because they're in Babylon. Um, we know, if you, go, you don't have to turn there, but chapter 45, verse 1 says Cyrus of Persia is going to do that. He's going to restore Israel politically and geographically. And in 539 BC, in fact, that's what happened. Cyrus of Persia uh, made a, an edict that uh, the uh, Judeans could come out and go back to their land. Now, he had his own purposes in view, but God was behind that. Bringing the people out of exile. But they also need to, and more fundamentally really, be brought out spiritually. Because what's going to happen if you just take the very same people out and put them back in the land? They might be obedient for a while, but they're just going to, they're just going to you know, can take the people out of Egypt, but not the Egypt out of the people or whatever. They're just going to be, the same thing's going to happen. Their sins need to be atoned for, their hearts need to be changed. So that's even more fundamental. So they need, they need to. All of that's important. All of that's in Isaiah's vision. Okay, Cyrus fulfills the one, who then is going to bring them out from Egypt, or excuse me, from exile spiritually. Well, it's this enigmatic servant figure we meet at the beginning of chapter Uh, forty-two. This is why. And look at as his mission begins to be described. uh, Very famous verses, chapter forty-two, verse three: a bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick, he will not quench. And so um, these are images of bruised reed, a uh, smoldering wick. These are images of Israel in exile. And uh, he's saying, when he says he's not going to break him or quench, um, this is a, a very comforting passage of the gentleness uh, of, of the servant's uh, uh, mission. Uh, uh, verse... Uh, well yeah so i 'm not going to'll just skip over this but notice we get his own, actually the servant's own testimony about the, the this this mission in chapter in one another servant song chapter forty nine verse five you can just listen or or turn there all i 'm doing is pulling pulling verses from the various servant songs I mentioned um, but keep your finger on forty two because we 're not done with that uh, the servant himself speaks in forty nine five now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring back Jacob to him, Israel, that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my uh, strength. So the servant himself realizes that his, his goal, he formed me to be his servant, why? To bring Jacob back to him. So this is exactly what the servant is going to do. Uh, But what's the goal and purpose of the restoration that the servant is going to bring? And this is where an interesting twist enters the story that a lot of people don't realize is actually in Isaiah. You know it's in the New Testament, and I don't want you to jump to Jesus too quickly, but it's actually there in Isaiah uh, first. The servant appears to have failed his mission, even in Isaiah. Just go one verse up into chapter 49, verse 4. But I said, I've labored in vain. This is the servant talking. I've spent my strength for nothing uh, and vanity. Yet surely my right hand is with the Lord and my recompense with the Lord. Turn your eyes to the next chapter. 50 verses 5 to 9. Same thing. The Lord has opened my ear. This is the servant speaking again. And I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. Did you know that was in there? <laughs> uh, I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Uh, and then he goes on uh, to say, Well, but the Lord helps me, he who vindicates me is near. Uh, who is my adversary? Behold, the Lord helps me. Who will declare me guilty, etc., etc. So the servant uh, appears to have failed his mission, and it's interesting because the the response that God gives to this isn't quite what you would expect. He actually entrusts the servant with an even greater mission. What? That's that's not what I... That's kind of unexpected. In fact, um, I know we're jumping around, but back to 49, 5 to 6, in the context of the servant appearing to have failed his mission, we read, and I stop because I uh, ahead of this verse in verse 6. He says is it too light a thing you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring them back, the preserved of Israel back? So that's, that's too small of a thing. He goes, What well, you're really going to do something greater than that. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation shall reach the ends of the earth. So in light of what we've been talking about <laughs> the past couple of weeks, when you hear God looking at this servant figure, and he's saying, you're not just going to redeem my people, but you are going to, quote, I'm going to make you servant uh, as a light for the nations, that my salvation might read the ends of the earth. What are you thinking about when you hear, or should you be thinking about, light to the nations, ends of the earth? What, who's, what mission should you then connect the servant's mission to? Light to the nations you heard this language before. Ends of the earth. Who else did God tell that He was going to bring blessing to the nations and the earth through? Who said it? You said Abraham? No. Yeah. You're, no, yeah, Abraham. Yeah, I, didn't know. I thought I saw it. I was trying to give you credit, making you look yeah, really yeah, yeah. good. Yeah, Thank Abraham. You. Brilliant Abraham. answer. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Yes. Nice. Exactly. Yes. And so. What you're seeing is now you're making this connection. God is not turned from plan A. That is still his plan. But who's going to fulfill it now? The servant. God's first servant, Israel, failed. God's like, my plan is going forward. I'm going to send another servant, and he's going to fulfill the mission. My plan is like a freight train, and no one's getting in the way of that. So I want you to connect the servant Isaiah with this large, with the whole larger redemptive plan that goes from Genesis all the way to exile because this is the significance of the servant's mission. Okay? And so um, uh, it's clear that he's going to do it, but Isaiah really hasn't quite said how yet. This is where the climactic servant song comes in. Please flip over to chapter 52, 53, and we'll conclude on this. How is he going to do it? How is Israel going to change from being this sinful, unholy people uh, uh, that to, to become the holy people that they need to be to fulfill God's original plan for His people in the first place? And it's the servants going to requalify them. Now I can do the great reveal. Don't worry about what it looks like. A third grader wrote this, so don't make fun of me. I have the worst handwriting. Okay, I'll tell you what this means in a minute. But this is the structure of Isaiah. I know you can all laugh. Yeah, go ahead laugh at me first. You guys How good are your eyes over there? Are you good? Uh, Nick, sorry. You. So, so I'm going to be allude. I'll tell you why I did that in a second. But let me just read to you this. Um, uh might go over a few minutes. Probably will. Well, actually, at the same time, I mean, I wish we could go through the whole thing, but many of you are familiar with this. I'll just allude to uh, certain verses from this. This is the structure of the passage. I love this stuff. I'm an Uber nerd. Now, it's often helpful not to just focus on what the Bible says, but how the Bible says. Right? The, the, the form that passages come in the Bible is part of the meaning of it. Right? We often look over what facts, and what the facts, that's fine. But how they present the material is right? actually super important. They, the, the Hebrew writers love to do this. Okay? What they love to do is they'll say, they'll talk about something, the servant's exaltation. Then they'll talk about, we'll see the servants, humiliation. Then they'll come back and they'll repeat these, but they'll do it in a reverse fashion. Okay, let's talk about humiliation again, and then exaltation again. We end where we began. This is actually called a a chiastic structure or a concentric pattern is more accurate. Because notice that this has a matching unit. That's why I put A1 and A2, exaltation, exaltation, humiliation, humiliation. Notice there's no corresponding C. So it's asymmetric to draw your, 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 your mark to the center, because that's the most important thing. And I guarantee you, if I sat you down with this text and didn't show you this elaborate structure, I'm not saying, I'm not saying you can't understand the text if you don't see that. Um, but if I asked you and I sat you down with the passage what the most important verses were, I guarantee you, you'd probably say 53, 4 to 6. And then if I showed you this, you go, oh, so did Isaiah, because he put it at the smack dab center of the section. And so, because the center of it talks about the atoning significance of the servant's suffering. So let me read you the verses that he deliberately put, and I'm not the only, I mean, this is, a lot of people have seen this, so I'm not, I'm not the, the only crazy, crazy person. Uh, uh, and these are, these are everywhere. But listen to the center of the chapter you have this, the, uh, just to put it in context, you have the servants going to be exalted in 52, thir- 13 to 15, so much so that even kings are going to be astonished at him. Okay? Then, and this is why right next to that, he's not just going to be exalted, but humiliated and rejected. And then, the, the, like I said, the last two just sort of elaborate on that. And then right at the center, uh, you get this. Uh, sh- well, look, go to verse 3 first. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, that almost certainly should be translated one from whom God hides his face. The form of the word there is almost always used of God hide, hiding his face from people. Okay, uh, But what you can't do on translations when people are used to reading it a certain way, if you change it, guess what's going to happen? You know, Grandma is going to... Is going to send in a message to the ESV saying, Why did you change my passage? I memorized it in a certain way. So, I'm going to read it that way. He's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and one from whom God hides his face. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. In Israel's culture, uh, this is what, read the book of Job, this is what Job's friends are telling Job, if you're suffering, the basic assumption was you're suffering for your sin and something that you did, and you need to repent, and God will restore you. So he's being presented as he's suffering for something he own did. He did. You get to chapter four or verse four, and he goes, "Nope." And so it's supposed to be shocking. Surely he has borne our griefs. He's not suffering for his own. He has follow the pronouns here. He has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. That word daka, crushed, means like pulverized dust elsewhere. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us shalom, wholeness, peace. With, and with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him... The iniquity of us all. You cannot miss the substitutionary nature of the sacrifice. It is this is why it cannot refer to Israel. Because he's dying for Israel. He's their substitute. Well, how did the Jews respond to that? Like, I mean uh, the Jewish yeah. current or- I've got a whole lecture on Rashi's medieval <laughs> interpretation that we can't talk about. <laughs> it's scintillating if you want to know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, good yeah, good good question though. So but what I want you to see is this is how the servant's going to do it. He is going to be the substitute for the people. And then in turn, and notice this is what a lot of people don't realize is how chapter 54 begins. I don't know if you ever noticed this. After this whole section of the suffering servant, he's going to bear their sins. He's going to make them be accounted righteous. Notice 54.1. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth in singing and cry aloud. For the children of the desolate one will be no more. Than the will, excuse me, will be more than the children of her who was buried. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Lengthen the cords and strengthen the gates, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring shall possess the nations. He's tying the promise that the blessings go to the nations to the suffering of the servant, and we're not even in the New Testament. This is Isaiah. Isaiah saw it clearly. So fast forward to, the, to, to Christmas, in the incarnation. We get to chapter 1 of Matthew. What is the name of the Messiah? The lady says, you, To Joseph, you shall call his name Emmanuel? It's a good Bible trivia question. Almost a lot of people, I get him. He doesn't say his name will not be Emmanuel. What is his name? Now, this is when you, you want to say Jesus the whole time. Jesus. What's interesting is is Jesus' name, Yeshua, is from the Hebrew word salvation. It's actually a shortened form of the word Hosea, which is Hosea's name, and Yehoshua, which is Isaiah's name. It all comes from the same root that means salvation, deliverance, or rescue. So when the angels explain to Joseph, why is it that he's supposed to call his name Yeshua, Jesus? Or, what's it say? Someone knows it he will save his people from their sins his name tells you what his mission is and Jesus himself understood his mission this way maybe you look at this verse differently a lot of us know mark 10:45 jesus says i didn't come to serve or I, I didn't i came not to be served but to serve and give my life as a ransom for the many servanthood, and suffering. Jesus saw himself to be Isaiah's servant. So when you're celebrating Christmas or the, the incarnation, um, think, I get shows thinking about it. Think, it. think. Keep that whole story in mind. Uh, what you're getting is set, they've been waiting for 700 years. That's when Isaiah was written. And Finally, this guy from Nazareth, who's a carpenter, gets up, and they're like, this is the servant. This is the one they've been waiting for. Okay, and so um, there's a lot more we could do, but I'm already past, past time. So hopefully that gave you a context for maybe seeing uh, Christmas with a, 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 a <laughs> wide-angle lens and maybe thinking through it in the way you had before. We have some announcements. Real quick. Oh. Um. Okay, big thing is we're having a Christmas party next Saturday. The Becketts are hosting it. You should have received an email with the invitation information, and you can RSVP. I will get out a sign-up list on the GroupMe, so that would be a way as well. If if you've not got an email or a GroupMe message, let me know, and I will get you signed up. Um, Other thing is the gifts are due today for In His Steps Angel Tree. And we need um, people for the host team. So that way we'll only serve once every 12 weeks. Nice. Great. Thank you. Uh, You're dismissed.